I'm about 16 bars of recording. Well, and at the end, you're going to do a 32 bar verse. So start thinking about there you that. Go. Welcome, All everybody, right. to Jubilee Street and Nick Cave Podcast, the world's number one Nick Cave podcast. Number I one. I am Ian McCurtis. I'm here with my co host, Jake Curtis. And we do not have an intern this week. We are still taking applications for our new intern dog. The applications have been rolling in. It's taking us time to get through them. And this week, we are talking about the classic song, Stranger Than Kindness. Stranger Than Kindness Bottled from Hotel Yo, so first thing right off the bat, we are doing this song in honor of Anita Lane, but this isn't an Anita Lane retrospective episode. This probably isn't going to be as somber as she deserves because we just wanted to have fun today. So at the top, we do want to say condolences, all that, but rest in peace. We're going to have a fun episode about this song. I would imagine that's probably what she would want. We're not going to, this ain't going to be some sad boy shit. Yeah, we're not we're not talking about Lil Peep. We're talking about Anita Lane, her legacy, and how her how she impacted the trajectory of the Bad Seeds and uh, the birthday party. Let me ask you this: When I first played this song, when we uh, agreed that we were going to do it for the next episode, the first thought I had was, if you just turn up the guitars and drums. And put a different vocalist over it. This is a scram song. Yeah. That guitar, well, like that chord and the way it is strummed is so scramsy. It's just so quiet. It doesn't sound like it. I um, I and think it was funny about scrams. Go, you go is, ahead. Uh, scrams is kind of like an obscure thing to say. It's like a screamo music, but more in like the hardcore punk context. So so, if anyone doesn't know what it is, think about like a screamier version of the birthday party and less like the hot topic version of screamo you might be thinking of. Yeah. So for those interested in the reference, check out, uh, Orchid, Seisha, uh, page 99. Um, the last Comadre record kind of falls under scrams. It's more of a pop punk record, but Comadre is a good one. Um, Loma Prieta, I think is probably the most mainstream scrams band besides, um, I mean, I guess even pianos become the teeth if we want to step over into this more like poetic kind of stuff. They don't scream no um, more. The though. more melodic, but uh, he does. He he does more singing now. So definitely check out Orchid. There's a band that my check out my old band Android 18. We did some kind of like pretty twinkly scrams that I'm still pretty proud of to this day. It was like my first recorded vocals, screaming, yelling. So you know, probably one of the funnest times of my life was playing shows with those guys even no matter how like awkward and 
weird it was and how many technical difficulties we would have. We were all like learning and like doing it together. And we, we had some really killer shows and I think our music still holds up pretty well. So anyway, uh, end my plug there. I actually found this song more interesting after listening, after doing Halbermensch two episodes ago. Yeah, it would, because it's great how that lined up. I totally agree. It uh, it sounded like it could have been a B side from that record. Yeah, and if you dive into like some of the other uh, new bottom records I listened to, the instrumental of this song would fit right in. Yeah, exactly. And and I when I read about that, doing research for this song, I was like, oh, this makes total sense. And you pointed out to me, I, I, I texted you and I was like, I'm looking all over the place. I can't see the Anita Lane credit. And I was tired last last night uh, looking through it. And then you were like, you were like, oh, she she had a writing credit. And then Blixa wrote the music. And I was like, oh, so I had this light bulb moment. And if you listen to the f- original version with uh, like early bad seeds and then you hear the there's like two other versions I found on Spotify so we did it at the Idiot Prayer concert when he played solo last year during the pandemic. He covered it there. And then he also did it at that KCRW show that I can't talk about enough. Like that's like some of the some of the best K like Nick Cave, like Bad Seeds material is on that album. I think it's from like twenty fourteen or something, like right after Push the Sky Away came out. Uh, the performance of Stranger Than Kindness at the KCRW show is so good yeah this is i'm he's probably done this song a thousand times because he said he loves this song it's his favorite bad seed song both times i saw him live he he played it so where what direction should we move in here do you want to start with lyrics like do you want to start with like kind of breaking down like what anita lane's you know vision might have been with like the I mean, writing a song is so obtuse to say because as someone who's been in a band, like, you know, did Anita just go in the studio and, like, write the lyrics for Nick and, like, kind of sing it for him? And then, you know, he did mention in, in, like, early interviews that she was, like, this muse for everybody that was around her, but she never really wanted to be. Like, she, they were, like, getting her into the studio was, like, a tough thing to do. Like, she was just so flighty and kind of, like... Not, not not grounded in certain ways. Like, she was always moving from one thing to the other. Well, okay, so there's a lot to go off of that. I, I, From my understanding, she wrote the lyrics. I guess showed them to Blixa. He wrote the music. I don't know who arranged the lyrics, you know, who arranged the melodies. I don't know if that was her or Blixa or Nick. But she did write From Her to Eternity as well. And she wrote some Love other... That song early Bad Seed songs, lyrically at least. So, yeah, I think it was very much just, you know, she probably had this as a poem and showed it to Blixa and he went to town. For me, I don't know what your thoughts were on the song. For me, this is will probably be more of a uh, not-so-literal episode because I, I don't think these lyrics are meant to be taken very literally. I think... You know what it made me think of, Jake, was in Slaughterhouse-Five, I don't know if you remember the book by Kurt Vonnegut, the part where he's on that alien planet, the, like, Tralfa Midorians capture him or whatever, Billy Pilgrim, the main uh-huh. character. And yeah. 
he's like, uh, I'm fucking bored. Do you have anything to read? And they're like, well, you wouldn't really get our books. It's just kind of like you read all the pages at once and they're all separate events. And then when you see them all together, it makes a beautiful picture, but nothing's related to each other. That's kind of how this song felt to me, where I don't really think it's meant to be taken literally. It just kind of washes over you and makes you feel a certain way. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, that's uh, kind of how I took it after listening to all the versions I could find on Spotify. It, it was very much like kind of a sweeping feeling of like you're kind of getting like bombarded. It's like if you ever been at the beach or you know something like or you're like in a, like a like it's like a windy day where you're like just kind of getting like that natural sense of like you know water kind of like hitting you and you kind of fall back and float mm-hmm. on top of the water it's got a very like uh, even more so than some even some of the later uh bad seeds material it's got a very like ethereal kind of feeling to it that i think yeah. was way ahead of their time and that's what makes this song so unique because Nick Cave is a great writer, one of the best, but I don't even want to say he's literal. I mean, he gets poetic, but his songs, you could usually look at the lyrics on Genius and be able to be like, okay, here's the meaning behind the song, or it's easy for me to take a meaning. He doesn't do this kind of ethereal writing very often. Even the newer records that have gotten more ambient, I think it's still easier to extrapolate meaning from the lyrics. This is more like a early Modest Mouse lyric or something, you know? It's just kind of interesting phrases put together and just let it make you feel something. Yeah, it, I, I think even it's funny that you say Modest Mouse because Stranger Than Kindness, I think, could be like akin to a you know an iconic title like Talking Shit About a Pretty Sunset mm-hmm. or... Um, Dramamine or um, Breakthrough like they it's a very like even the title is so like well crafted and kind of just like effortlessly cool like I think Anita Lane really has this like quality of like just completely unique from everyone around her and uh, it's just insane like if you look at like how she met all these guys like she basically she went to school with uh, Roland S. Howard, and then she eventually just got acquainted with all with, with like Nick and Mick Harvey and all these guys. And then, you know, she would just have to get coaxed into doing things for them. Like you know, they try to get her to come in and work on a song, and it's weird. You meet these there's these creative people that we all know who like were. You know, and I think it's going to be different when we're like 50 or 60 looking back on this stuff. But there's all these, there's always these people that you see now who are like 60 or 70 and they're like not, they were, they were like doing these really insanely cool like music projects and stuff. And then they just end up having kids and kind of like settling down and having this like kind of normal life. And I think it's like, that's what Anita happened to Anita Lane is she had children and she was like crazy about her kids. And then, you know, she kind of just, she wasn't obscure, obscured by that, but I think, you know, you see, you have this person with this, like, raw talent, and it's almost, like, seems like a waste, like, thinking about how much stuff that she could have kept making, you know, but 
after diving in and finding, like, I started listening to one of her records, um, Dirty Pearl, which I really like. I love the cover. Um, and I feel like she was uh, pretty attractive back in the day. I, I, there's that one picture of her that pops up when you Google her that is really cute. Rem reminds me a lot of um, this girl I went to high school with. But anyway. She's very attractive, but there was this, like, separate thing that I kept thinking of in regards to Anita Lane. Uh, the first person I can think of off the top of my head is Chelsea Wolfe. Like, these people... I know there's other women like this in music that just, like, exude the sexiness. But it doesn't even really... It's, like, separate from how they look. Like, Anita yeah. Lane is attractive, but even if she... If I didn't know what she looks like, there's just something about her voice and the way she writes lyrics... Even if the song isn't sexual at all, it just like exudes the sexiness. And I mean, Nick Cave is very much the same way, so it's a match made yeah. in heaven. Yeah, they they do. I mean, that's that's got to be what attributes to like Nick Cave's, you know, larger than cult following. That's what I always call his like foul. His like fan base is like it feels like a cult, but really it's just like every everybody kind of likes Nick Cave, and for some reason he just remains this sort of like indie icon even though he's like well known everywhere else but the states very similar um, vibe to anita lane yeah yeah and, and i think um yeah i mean match made in heaven for this song i can see why nick likes it so much i think it's also interesting that he would like a song that he didn't write you know because it's like isn't that how a lot of people are like like i feel like there's got to be people out there who like they like the music they write, but when they get to cover their favorite band's song, it's like a whole new thing. Yeah. So I've been in bands where, you know, we'll share lyric writing duties and I'll write lyrics for someone else or someone else will write lyrics for me. And when writing the song, it makes me feel like uncomfortable or I'm like, ah, I kind of rather just like write some, uh, sing something I wrote, you know? But yeah, there is something about it that, when when you're playing it live, I think maybe because you didn't write it, but it is your song, like it's your band, you just get to ascribe any meaning you want to it, and it's still the right meaning because you're not really covering it per se. Someone else wrote it, but they're in the band. It is like a special feeling. I I, I think it's really cool that he says this is his favorite song. It is kind of like a, you know, we joke about Nick Cave having a big ego, and this is kind of going against that to be his favorite song, one that he didn't write. Well, yeah, and, and I've been in a in, in Android 18. Uh, Noah and I would share songwriting duties, um, or I'm sorry, lyric writing duties, and there's a song, it's like the fourth track, and it has some of the best lyrics. Like, I don't remember the, the lyric writing. I felt like I did a majority of it. And then Noah stepped in on the song more so on the songs that I felt like we knew he would do more vocals on. But, um, I think it's actually called untitled for now. I think that's the name of the song. Um, but there's a line in that song. That's like momentous treasures for sale, but only for one day more. And Noah just like, like took these words and just, created these like melodies and uh, i mean it's really cool to see like it would be cool to see if there's like a version floating around of anita performing the song i'm sure there is i just didn't look hard enough 
um, or there might not be. We had that song in Vianimo where uh, our friend Olivia wrote a poem, and I mm -hmm. turned it into lyrics for the song, and it fucking felt so powerful to me, even though I didn't write it. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's like a magical thing, and that leads me into what I think my favorite part of this song is. There's something so amazing about Nick Cave's vocal delivery in this song. The best way I could describe it is usually when he's singing, he feels like he's performing. He's performing a love song. He's performing a violent song. He's performing a funny song. But it always feels like he's on stage. Like It always feels like acting. Even though it feels genuine, it feels like he's going out there to give a performance. Yeah. This song feels so raw, like he was just singing it and didn't even know he was being recorded. There's something raw. so like... Yeah, there's some... I mean, there's this like hollowness to his voice and some of the words. Like when he says bottled light from hotels or whatever. It's a way that I, I can't think of another song where he sounds so desperate but not in a way where he's like performing desperation he just sounds like he's desperation yeah that's really well said the whole song has this very i, I don't want to go too far to say but the whole song has this very like falling down a well sense to it like where you're just latching on to obscurity and i mean the song like, is like uncomfortable because like a lot of these turns of phrases they dated each other and a lot of these turns of phrases and the lyrics like seem like they could be describing like an abusive partner or at least not a great partner. And it almost feels like a Fleetwood Mac rumors situation where like she's writing this song that's like about how unhappy she is with Nick Cave and then gives it to Nick Cave to sing. And I think that's probably what makes it so great is how weird it is. It just feels weird. It, it does feel weird, and I think that, like, the bottled light from Hotel's line, wet hand from the volcano, grind my soft cold bones below. Hey, that line is, like, desire. I don't know what that means, but it's, like, so just, like, filthy. Like, ugh, what is yeah, that? Yeah, it, it could be sexual, but it could also kind of be, like, you know, you make my you make me sick to my stomach. Yeah, in a way exactly. Like, and you don't know which mm -hmm. way it's meant. It's just it's great. And then there's the whole you know, even a fool can come, a strange lit. That line, even a fool, even a fool can, can come. come. That's like, uh, like that a strange a lit Street stare. Shirt. Yeah, that's a great. That would be an awesome shirt. Um, a strange lit stare and find a rope hanging there, stranger than kindness. Like what's happening there. Like, you know, it's like, it also makes me think of the Tennessee Williams, um, streetcar named desire. Uh, Blanche Dubois is, she has this famous quote where it's like, um, I rely on the kindness of strangers. And it makes me think of that. I, I mean, that's gotta be a reference. Cause you well, know. there's the murder ballad song called kindness to strangers. So yeah. Sure so I, I think it's just kind of stuck in that, like, Anita Lanian, Nick Cavian, Bad Seedsian kind of lore at this point. Like, I feel like in the way that we talked about Tupelo and then Higgs Boson Blues, and then I don't want to I don't want to be too controversial, but like Stagger Lee 
and then um, you know maybe you can throw a couple in there. But I feel like this is a really important song to like. This is one of the best Bad Seed songs. Yeah, I think I didn't go through it and look. I didn't go like album by album, but I would think that this is probably my favorite Bad Seed song of the early era, like up until Henry's yeah. Dream, or even maybe after that. Well. You know how bands, like, we, there'll be bands who, like, have a record, and the thing is, is that, you know, uh, Your Funeral, My Trial is not a bad record all the way throughout, and, um, like, we've covered Sad Waters, I'm sure we'll do The Carney soon, um, there's a lot of good songs on this record, this isn't like, you know, Stranger Than Kindness is the standout, but it also kind of in that whole like late 80s like you know early 90s era before i think they got to like henry's dream and stuff they were experimenting a lot and i think this song kind of like you said this like sticks out it's not like what they were making during that time it's not as it's dark but in a way that's like it's kind of more like what roland s howard would move on to do on his own and mm. um and what he, he worked with Anita lane i think throughout both of their lives Oh, yeah, I think he was a big fan of hers. And, um, I mean, Blix, yeah. uh, you can see Blix's mark is all over this fucking song. Like, I don't know if you, uh, how you feel about it, but that ending part with the, I don't know if it's like bells the or organ, a synthesizer. The, like, staccato organ. Is it an organ? I think so. It's just like, but that, it's like, like boom, like boom, those short boom, notes. boom, yeah. boom, 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 boom. Like, that's like spine tingling. Like, it just sends shivers up my spine. Um, this is one of uh, like this is one of the best guitar bad seed songs because they don't have a ton of songs where the guitar is like the prominent instrument, but just those like weird chords he's playing. I don't I don't yeah. even know what they are. They're probably a weird fingering, hard to play. Well, it's off time too. It's off time. It's like purposefully off time. But it's like so interesting. It 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 stays throughout the whole song, but it never stops being interesting. It makes me wish, like, when did Blix leave the band in the early 2000s? It made me wish that Anita Lane stayed that long, and every album there were a couple songs where she'd write the words and he'd write the music, and they'd probably be yeah. so fucking good. I mean, we had um, Jake Snyder from Mountain Asleep. He was on one of our Via Animo songs, and I think about, like, you know, how cool it would have been to, like, do a song with him with, like, Android 18. It, like, just... You know, people that like I, I think he, I think he helped elevate that track, and I, I don't think that that song is necessarily my favorite Vianimo song, but I do think that it's like it's cool when you get these like special voices to come in and contribute mm -hmm. and like put their unique stamp on something. Um, so yeah, that was really cool. Um, I say this all the time about Nick's music and. Um, all the, you know, Blixa, Mick, Anita here. But this has just this, um, this just has this quality to it that feels like it, it like shouldn't exist. Like it, it seems like a piece of music that like is one of those things that can only happen like once in a lifetime. Like they just caught fire in the hotel light yeah. bottle. And yeah, I was, I was almost thinking that like, this is one of the least Nick Cave song, like one of the least Nick Cavey Nick Cave songs. I don't know if you'd agree with that, but like, like if I was talking to someone and they're like, yeah, I'm not really into Nick Cave, like 
into my arms, red right hand, like, you know, it's just not my thing. I still feel like they'd like this song. I feel like this song is something else. It's like a separate thing. Well, the longer we do the podcast, the more I think about, like, if somebody were to ask me, being that I still kind of consider myself a new fan uh, in comparison to, like, the time period that Nick Cave has been around and the time I've listened to him. And I think, like, at this point, if I were, if someone were like, you know, what would you recommend, like, album-wise and song-wise? I'd probably send them Stranger Than Kindness for the song. And then I think for the album... That'd be harder for me, but I'd probably send him Push the Sky Away. See, I don't know if I'd send him Stranger Than Kindness because I, I don't think it's like indicative of if you like Nick Cave or not. Because to me, this song feels so not like anything else. But if you're, if you're asking me, like, Jake, what's the best song? What's the best Nick Cave song for me to listen to? I'd probably be like, it's not, it's not my favorite, but I think like, as far as like most interesting, weird, like it kind of encapsulates everything that the Bad Seeds would do before they did it. I think this song. That's like, true. I, I'm, you know, just going off of what I've heard in comparison to how much is left to be heard by Nick and his band. I think that this song up up to this point is like it's such kudos to us and our curation of yes. this podcast kudos that we managed to, to like us. Yeah, we don't say that enough. Uh, we like we just ho- like so happen to line up like Halbermensch, Roland S. Howard, Shivers, and then this song, right? Or did we, we did a Nick Cave song last week? Didn't we? I can't remember. No, no, yeah, we did Halbermensch, and then we did Shivers, Shivers, and then the, this is the. I'm I'm sorry. We we uh, time gets weird. recorded later in the week than I had expected. Um, damn it, Ian. Just kidding, but. Yeah, so I think it's cool to, like, if you're listening, like, chronologically to the podcast and following along, like, I think all these songs are really well connected. And I think it's cool, like, you know, Shivers is a song that Roland S. Howard wrote but never really, like, took back as his own. It was always performed and, like, and and I'm inter- I'd am i be interested to see, like, how, like, other Nick Cave fans feel about Stranger Than Kindness because, like, this is definitely one of those moments where it's, like, you know, take take the money and run kind of happened and like nick got to perform a song that like you know if anita had performed it would have been perf- per- it would have been completely different probably i would imagine that like this is probably a top 10 top 20 song at least for anyone it's just yeah so special every the fucking drums that like yeah well i don't know what that drum beat is it's like kind of jazzy it's kind of almost like a break beat the like yeah, Pattern of the, the whole song is weird. It's like they were listening to a shit ton of Ornette Coleman or fucking John Coltrane or something like. But then there's like these sp- got, and then they put Scramsy guitar over this like jazzy like. But it's not abrasive at all. Like you would think that those two things yeah. put together should sound like Sunraw and should sound so uh, cacophonous, and it doesn't. This is like a pretty yeah. pleasant song. It's yeah, it's yeah, wild. Yeah. Like none of it makes sense. Anything to Ian is scrams if it doesn't use a three chord structure. In case the audience wants to know, if it's not, <laughs> if it's not in a major key, or one of the acceptable minors, the A minors of the world, the uh, C minors, the normal ones. If it's anything yeah. other than that, then it's weird. It's scrams. It's if it if the band jazz. doesn't start with alkaline and end in the Lawrence Arms, then it's probably scrams. I usually don't condone the use of not playing power chords, but Blixa 
didn't play power chords on the song, and he did a pretty good job. So I'll give it to him on that one. I heard that he, I got a somehow cross dimensionally. I heard that you're running for city council in uh, your alternate dimension town, and you're running on a platform of power chords only. Dude, there's, and there's so much videos. There's so much circulating. There's so much bullshit noodly indie rock that would be so much better if they just played power chords. Get it together. There's these videos that are going around of Ian in his, you know, he's wearing his mask and his his uh, astronaut outfit. Um, sorry, his spacesuit. He doesn't like it's, me to call it his outfit. It's not an outfit. It's not a costume. Um, I guess it's an outfit. And he's just in there. You don't say fucking Glenn. Who are the fucking guys that walked on the moon? I don't know. You don't call it an outfit when they wear it. Basically, Ian's just like walking around, like you know, talking like the guy from Maps and Atlases, and like every other weird math rock band, like you know, just like throwing chairs around uh, and like being, you know, just he'll just like be saying gibberish and then he'll scream out power chords. Shout out uh, to uh, shout out to the band Squid that put out their debut album today. They very much have that cadence. What's up, Squid? I never heard of you, but I listened to you. But uh, back to the topic of the hour well while Ian, i'm, uh, what while else? I'm what, ranting what about bullshit guitar players there's a kurt vile oh. cover of this song that i think is garbage wow hot take good thing you're not using good thing kurt vile probably doesn't listen to this i like your music kurt vile i haven't I heard don't. the cover yet listen I, I probably talked about it on the pod before i can't stand bob dylan and kurt vile has this bob dylan quality to me the way he sings and i hate yeah. it yeah yeah, I mean, the wall it's not was, for everybody. The wall wasn't painted very well, and I walked outside and went on the bus. For, let's, let's see, how would you perform it? The wall wasn't painted very well. I'd write better lyrics. I wouldn't just describe my day. The taupe wall wasn't painted very well. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> um... But, uh, yeah, Kurt Vile, if you're hearing this, um, we'd love to have you on the podcast. And, you know, even if you just want to yell at Ian, but uh, I'm sure you got better things to do. He doesn't seem like a yeller. He'd probably just say it was cool. And I'd say he'd write a song, dude. He'd be like the guy in the no effects hoodie really thinks he knows what he's talking about. (laughs) That's true. What what right do I have to talk about anything? I'm wearing a no effects hoodie. I feel like anytime I just like I mentioned no effects now. There's going to be somebody in the room who's like, didn't they make, didn't he make everybody drink piss in the drink audience? And, and I, and I'm just, and I was, I was over it as soon as he made people drink his own piss. And I'm like, if you paid any fucking attention, you just wanted an excuse to hate fat Mike because he's like, he makes you uncomfortable. It's very true. So, uh, this was just a little thing I wanted to touch on and then we can get back to the song. Um, I noticed for people who, you know, we have a varying, you know, listenership. So if you haven't kept up with this, uh, it looks like there's a new art book that was released with the same title. Um, that's like a collection of Nick Cave's photos, lyrics, and doodles and stuff from uh, basically just from whenever he started doing it to now. And it looks really cool. I haven't picked up a copy yet. I, I do think that once I get paid next week, I'm going to pick up one and then maybe I was I don't know I'll I'll think about it but it'd be cool to maybe do like an unboxing and maybe I could make a quick I could do like an Instagram video and post it for people oh. who give a shit um, yeah and I could I could hop on with you and I could be in the little box up at the top 
Yeah, yeah, we can we can do like maybe an Instagram live or something. I don't know. We'll we'll play with the idea. If you're into it, you know, email us. I'm not going to stay to a strict timeline. You know, I do have the uh, the Nick Cave art book that came with the uh, graphic novel, so we could do like oh, a cool. double art book. He it, for anyone that pays attention to CaveThings.com or .net, whatever it is, um, he posted this little weird pocket angel that he made where he chipped out parts of the this little like it looks like one of those old like um humbergs or whatever they're called they're those little weird like child statues that grandmas have in their house there there's like an episode or two of uh better call Saul where they reference them but he like took it and he like spray painted it gold or it came spray it came in like a like a slat gold kind of color but um, it looks really cool he's got kind of all kinds of cool stuff on there it's a little expensive but if you're into Nick Cave you should check it out um, but yeah, check out his new art book, Stranger Than Kindness, free plug for Nick Cave. And keep in mind that, you know, they've got a lot of people on their touring team. We want to see Nick play. And I know I'm sounding like John Suntras here, but, you know, we got to keep the music scene alive. Like, you know, support your artists. And if you got some keep cash and you fed. love Nick Cave, you know, we, 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 we got to have somebody to tune, you know, Warren Ellis's violin, violin, violin. I don't know why I couldn't say it. Um, Dude, uh... uh so I saw Johnny Marr from the Smiths one time. He was at your house? <laughs> he was at my house, and he was performing. And you know that, like, guitar effect that the Smiths do, where it's like, wow, 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 wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just loves the wah, the wah bar. Well, so sometimes it is, but sometimes he'll play, like, an open chord. Like, I guess uh-huh. maybe he plays an open D, and he uh-huh. just detunes while the chord Oh, so cool. And I guess he has perfect pitch because he can just like detune it, mess around, and then always get back to the right note. And yeah. I imagine that's how Warren Ellis is. He doesn't need a tuner. He can just like pluck it. Oh, that's A. He doesn't need I a can't, tuner. Uh, there's, certain, there's, there's a couple of musicians now that have that were added, added to my list as far as people who I think are just like flawlessly like built to be musicians. And Warren Ellis and Blixa Bargeld are now on that. Like they're both, they both just seem like they could like pick up a broken guitar and like somehow put it back together. The last thing I want to mention before I forget is the cover. There's a, there's a, there was like a promo image for Nick cave, stranger than kindness, um, exhibition that they did in Copenhagen Mm -hmm. where it's a picture of Nick currently like with an, an older version of him sitting in his lap. And it's so fucking funny. (laughs) I don't think he meant it to be funny, but it's really weird. And it's like right up my alley as far as like just, weird surreal imagery so um there's like videos of him like working at the exhibition before it opens so check check that out you can find videos of it on youtube but it looked really cool i'm jealous for anybody that was in copenhagen for that so anyway little detour there back to the song speak well i'm gonna detour again while we're on the warren ellis tip who didn't play on the song uh he just produced a record with marianne faithful oh cool i haven't checked out yet but i'd really love to hear what he did with like a countryish person. Anyway, now back to the song. Back to the song. Ian, I don't have anything else. Oh, sorry. We were we were taking the bus. We were taking the bus back to the song. One more cover. I want to. One more cover. Of the song I want to mention that is actually I thought was really cool is the woman who's the lead singer of the Knife covered this song with her solo thing i can't remember what it's called uh, uh, fever fever ray there's a fever ray cover 
of this that is pretty cool. Very different take on the song. I saw that listed. I'll have to check that out. Um, I was a big fan yeah. of the knife back in the, you know, the bright eyes cursive days. The Ian McCurtis glory days. Uh, I, I, I honestly, I don't have much more prepared. I think that we covered everything I wanted to talk about. Um, I mean, we could just read the lyrics into the microphone because they're so beautiful. No, no, the one, gaunt, no one wants to the, hear that. The, I'm going to do it in Ian McCurtis style. The God fruit of passion dies in the light. Just kidding. Um, but they're, the That's lyrics are beautiful. Sounded a little Tom DeLonge. Yeah, well, been out in California too long, you know what I'm saying? The worst live singer I've ever seen in my life, hands down. You know, uh, Jake Snyder uh, and I went to Chicago once together to see Loma Prieta and Pianos Become the Teeth, and he he put on, I fell asleep in the car on the way home, which I always, if you know me, I fall asleep everywhere. Um, and, or I can fall asleep anywhere. I'm not like uh, fucking not falling me. asleep at the wheel or something. But, um... It just reminds me of when Chad and you would get really angry at me because I would like fall asleep mid sentence. You trying to talk to your friend and he falls asleep. Oh, so Everyone funny! Smash that like button if that's happened to you. We we were listening to that uh, Mark, Tom, and Travis show, and I remember being. Uh-huh. I remember when I finally heard Blink One Eighty Two live for the first time, like on yeah, a they recording. The shit out of that. I. I, I remember here, like when I finally heard Tom sing live, I was like, "Oh my god!" Without effects on it, it 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 literally like gutted me. I think I must have been like in high school, and I was I, I you know, I just remember being so bummed. I think the best time I ever saw Blink One Eighty Two live was in a basement in Louisville at the House of Wax. Another band was covering Blink One Eighty Two. It was a yeah, Blink One Eighty Two cover band. That's the way to do it. I saw that's the them only there. way. I saw them at Riot Fest, and I think I watched, like, the first two songs, and I was like, this is so bad. Let's just, like, beat the rush and go back to the hotel. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate. I, people fucking love Blink-182 around here. I see so many Blink-182 shirts around San Diego. But, um... Also, the gimmick is just, like, you're, like, 45, and it's just, like, evolving to something else. Like, it's just, why are you still doing the same thing you did when you were 16? Yeah, it, there's going to get... Nick Cave for, like, always evolving. Like, we need yeah. more artists like that that don't just, yeah. like, try to hang on to their glory days of being a 20-year-old. I think that uh, Travis and Mark should just... And, and Matt Skiba, too. They should just start another band under a different name. And Dude, Travis Barker is, like... We we can we don't have to have all this Blink-22 talk. I can edit it out if you want. <laughs> but... He's dating a Kardashian now, and he's making these like dumbass pop punk songs of rappers that like I think are pretty horrible. Well, if you think they're horrible, they're probably bad. Um, I mean, but, people love that Willow Smith joint, but like I thought it was trash. I like Willow Smith, but I didn't care for the new song super super much. Um, but anyway, you guys are here to talk about. We're here to talk about Nick Cave and Anita Lane and all that good stuff. If you don't care about Blink One Eighty Two, we'll put a little disclaimer in the beginning or something. So why, isn't it weird that she's, you know, back to Anita Lane, that she clearly has so much talent. She wrote two of the most beloved songs of this era, of the Bad Seeds, and some birthday party songs. And, you know, she just died a week ago. Mm-hmm. But she has very little output. She has, what, two 
two solo albums, and then she's done some stuff here and there with other people, but, like... Two solo albums is a lot of music for some people, you know, considering... But in a span of, like, 40 years, I mean, you know, the yeah. average album cycle is, like, every two or three years you're putting something out. Well, you think that's... You think this just wasn't her passion, or do you think she just There's, didn't want to be that... in the public spotlight? That's what I was referencing, is it was hard for, like, they had to, like, literally force her to go in the studio and just stick around for a while. Like, she was so... She was such a... She just seems like such an... She was such an elusive figure, like, you know... I think it's really interesting that this record was. I, I, I like, I like, and I don't like at the same time that a lot of this material, of like early Nick Cave Bad Seeds material, is um, mired in like his heroin addiction, and like I think that's like the off-putting part of the song is like it reminds you of like every scene in Requiem for a I Dream honestly, all all at once. I've never thought of that with the song. And well, I mean, the whole record, like there, there is this it's and and there's a there's like a pop culture-ness to heroin, unfortunately, because of movies. And like I said, Requiem for a Dream, like that's sort of the go to reference, like people fucking each other in the ass with like one dildo, you know, the ass to ass thing. But well, I, I know he was on drugs, but like I never think of that when I'm listening to his music. It doesn't sound like drug music to me, whatever that means. I wholeheartedly believe anything that's going on in your life and you're an artist, goes into your work. Like, I'm I'm writing this, like, I'm 61 pages in, and I'm just powering through I, this, I like... I thought you were going to say I'm 61 years old. I'm 61... Whoop, I'm like, it's like that scene from Family Guy. I'm actually not... Tw- I'm actually not 29. I'm a horse. <laughs> I'm actually not a horse. I'm a broom. I'm a broom. <laughs> um, so stupid. But um, I, I, I think that... Nick was clearly impacted by that habit. And I think <sighs> drugs are weird. Cause I think that at, in the eighties, like drugs were kind of viewed as just this thing you did. Like whenever you talk to people who were like Nick's age now, like there was this cool old guy I worked with named Brian at whole foods. And you know, he would talk about how he was just like, everybody did cocaine in the eighties. <laughs> he would reference like, I don't want to, I don't want to put him on blast, but you know, he'd reference doing some crazy stuff and, living out of his van and you know it was a different time but i'm sort of just getting at that like nick was like on and off heroin at this time um and when i say on and off i feel like that's usually how addicts are like you know you're either doing it a lot or you take a break because you're almost gonna die and then you know i think you're right i'm just i'm just saying for me personally i never there's some artists i listen to and, like, it's always in the back of my mind, like, oh, man, they were so fucked up on heroin. And for whatever reason, I never think about it when I'm listening to Nick Cave. Uh, well, it's, it's like, like a with, personal thing. It's like with Neil Young. Like, if you haven't watched a lot of the, like, like if you watch Russ Never Sleeps, the live um, concert from, uh, it, it's the album of the same name. It's got Hey, Hey, My, 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 Hey, Hey on it. Um, Neil Young was jo- the other one. I know yeah. he was on a ton of drugs, but I don't ever think of him that way. But I, well, anytime I listen to Nirvana, I can't help but think about like, oh man, he was so fucked up on heroin. Yeah, and and it's interesting. It's like you know, drugs don't debilitate people; they just you know end up killing you. Like you can still kind of somewhat function on them, especially as a musician. I feel like, you know, I just Nick. 
and Anita, to an extent, in this song, they have such a heaviness to them, and we talk about the book, The Unbearable Lightness of Being, a lot on this podcast, but there's such a heaviness to Nick Cave. Like, he just feels heavy, and if you want to kind of get a glimpse into what I'm talking about, read his Red Hand Files, where he talks about Anita, and, like, it's a mature way to deal with the death of a loved one, but it's also like, Jesus Christ, man, like, I'm really, like, I really feel for you losing this person. Like, you know, there's such a maturity in the the emotions that are being felt. And that's what's, that's what's weird is, you know, we aspire to like talk like a person like this. You know, I wish I sounded as poetic as I feel like Nick Cave sounds all the time, but he's had 65 years to perfect it. It's a combination of getting to a point where you allow yourself to be super vulnerable, which is hard. It's hard for me to do. It's hard for everyone to do. And you combine that with being like extremely well spoken, and yeah, you get this beautiful person that Nick Cave is. Right, and I think that that's kind of where this song, why it sticks out now, is it's like, imagine being like what twenty five, maybe, when she wrote this song, writing it about your boyfriend, and then you give it to your boyfriend to sing. I mean. Think about it's how like, vulnerable you have to do to do, like that is crazy. I could never do that. And I think that's where like why I think that there's a like a like a longer format podcast we could do speculating once we do once I personally do more research on Anita Lane. But there's a lot of speculation as to like why why so little output? Why somebody who was so talented at writing songs like why was she never really even even though she had her own solo material like she still feels as if she exists in the like shrouded in the shadow of this band which i think probably is a little bit of like sexism probably from that time but i don't think in this context i would that would be my first thing to go towards i'm kind of just taking in contextually or subtextually i know she she stayed pretty close with a lot of the bad seeds in this era and i know her and kid congo powers yep remain very good friends they perform together and, and he's kind of the same in the same boat he has way more output than she does i mean uh-huh. he's played on all kinds of shit mm-hmm. but i feel like why isn't kid congo powers considered like in the world of like henry rollins and danzig and keith morris and fat mike and these like punk legends I don't know. Is it like racism? Is it just he didn't want to be? You know, he always was doing weirder shit. He wasn't trying to be in the famous bands. I don't know what it is, but he's he's in a similar thing where I'm like, why isn't he more widely respected? Why isn't Anita Lane known by everyone? Yeah. And I think that part of this podcast, our duty is to, you know, shed some light on it. You know, Anita Lane isn't just a footnote connected to Nick Cave. She's like this... She she clearly shaped the direction of the band. And I think that this is why we find things like, you know, VH1 behind the music and like all these like music documentaries. Like there's like a documentary about the Bee Gees. There's a documentary about the Beatles. Like we love watching stuff like that and learning about stuff like that because, you know, there's always like some person that you never know about that had this huge impact on a musician that you love. And that's what was cool about visiting this song and trying to celebrate Anita, in my own way, you know, really just learning about her in the last, you know, year or so. And yeah, you know, 
this might delve into like a world of sexism and let me know if this is like a, a fucked up thing to say or if you don't agree. Ian but, gets sexist. <laughs> I hope not. But the birthday party was a weird band, right? Mm. And I feel like a lot of times you can get this masculine energy and these like weird noise bands where they just want to push it further and further. And I don't know if it's a macho thing, but those those bands are usually always all male. And it's just music that's so abrasive that no one would ever like it. I played with those bands a lot of times on tour. And they don't want people to like it. It's just like four bearded dudes making feedback noise. I feel like Anita Lane being in the... You know, they considered her a member of the birthday party, even though I don't think she performed with them live. Maybe having a feminine energy made that band better and made it something that could connect with more people. I don't know. No. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I learned recently, and you can edit this out if I'm not supposed to say it, but I learned recently kind of diving more into, like, the backstory of, like, Blix of Bargeld and, you know, their connection to um, Berlin at the time and how he's kind of viewed as, like, a... I, I guess he's sometimes seen as, like, a queer icon in some ways, and I think Nick is seen like that, too, because... They both kind of live in this like androgynous space of like gender and sexuality. You know, I think that's kind of something that is like why, you know, Henry Lee is such a provocative music video because it's like we really like the idea of somebody fucking, the, of, of being able to fuck yourself. Or like, it's you that, know, um, it's like oh, a yin and a yang book? thing. Do you know what that book, that last Ernest Hemingway book, he didn't finish it. It's about Eden. this couple. It's about this couple and they're dating and they start dressing like each other. And acting like each other, and they basically just become each other. It's it's that thing. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, that's that's like a very, uh, you know, that's sort of the horror of the Bible. And you know, Adam and Eve is like, you know, if you really think about it, like, you know, God had to rip part of his rib out to make man. Like, it's a provocative image that is, you know, ripe for mining for, you know, cave. I think that's part of the reason he was so obsessed with he's been so obsessed with Jesus and, you know, religion throughout the career and whatnot. So one last thing on the Blix of Bargeld tip, there's a great duet that, uh, he and Anita Lane have, I think it was on one of her solo albums called subterranean world. How long have we known each other? It's a, it's a great song. There's some cool live videos of it too. And it's in and that, that androgynous, uh, zone you were talking about. Rest in peace to Anita Lane. If you haven't checked out her solo material, I definitely recommend you check out. Um, she's got a solo record from 1993 I was listening to yesterday. I had it pulled up here, but my fucking computer's moving slow. Um, Dirty Pearl. Dirty Pearl, thank you. Um, and keep listening to Nick Cave, y'all. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um, <laughs> Ian, you want to take us out? I, did it. I stopped recording already. Oh, you did? <laughs>